Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. My name is Tiffany Jackson, and welcome to the Life Short Talk Fast podcast. Wow. Um, sorry, guys. I'm just a little bit, you know, a little shaky. This is my very first podcast. Um, I've wanted to do one for a little while, and I could never really land on what the subject matter would be. Um, but I think, I think I've finally figured it out. The one thing that I can talk about endlessly and just never get bored with talking about is TV. Oh, I love a good TV show. Let me tell you, I can sit and binge like nobody's business. Oh, I love it. I love just sitting and watching stuff over and over and over again. I'm not being facetious either. Um, I have seen the entirety of Gilmore Girls about eight or nine times by now. Um, I know that's a lot. It's intense, but I rewatch the show once a year and I just restarted, excuse me, the rewatch cycle and it hit me. I can talk about Gilmore Girls, but I hear you're questioning, you know, there's already a Gilmore Guys podcast. Why do we need yours too? Well, here's the thing. A, I'm going to be talking about spoilers. B, I'm doing it by myself. And see, I am not going to just talk about Gilmore Girls. No. Um, What I plan to do and what I hope to do is to talk about a few different TV shows. Just a few things that, you know, A, my husband is tired of talking about with me. And B, I just really like, I have some strong opinions about. And I really want to, you know, express them. And I think this would be a really good format for me to do so. Um, so let's dive right on into our first show. Um, I'm going to be going season by season and lots of spoilers, all that kind of stuff. If you want an episode by episode recap of a show, I'm sure that somebody has done it, um, and done it better than I have or could. So let's just jump into Gilmore Girls and start talking about why I love this show so much and get into some strong opinions that I have about it. (laughs) So first things first, Gilmore Girls premiered on the WB back in October of 2000. It was created by Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband, Daniel Palladino. They ran the show for six out of the seven seasons, and they also came back for the four-episode revival series that Netflix produced in 2016. The show's starred Lauren Graham and Alexis Bledel as our titular Gilmore girls, Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. At the start of the show, Lorelai is the manager of the Independence Inn and Rory is a sophomore in high school. Uh, Very quickly, the show does kind of set up its central conflicts. The central conflicts of Gilmore girls really center around familial relationships which is something that I truly, truly enjoy. Um, There's a lot of shows that say they're all about family and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like Gilmore Girls is one of those shows that is truly all about family, and it does focus a little bit on their romantic lives, but more often than not, the focus of the story, the focus of our conflict is going to be the relationship between either Lorelai and Rory or Lorelai and her mother, Emily Gilmore, played by the wonderful, incomparable Kelly Bishop. So this show for me is a huge comfort. Um, I remember back in the day because I was not old enough to watch it when it was on the WB. Um, I was only eight when it premiered and I was just not watching the WB. I was not about the WB at the time. I was more of, you know, an MTV VH1 kind of girl at the time. I very quickly moved on to being almost solely um, Science Channel, Discovery Channel, 
and uh, Cartoon Network, which was a very interesting combination, I must say. But moving on, um, my sister and I would catch like the reruns or anything like that on um, ABC Family, now Freeform, after school. Um, I remember it would come on either right before or right after Seventh Heaven. And I would watch Seventh Heaven because I thought the boys on Seventh Heaven were much cuter than any of the boys that I saw on Gilmore Girls. Granted, um, I did not see Jess at first, and when I did see Jess, I fell in love with him. Um, But I still didn't watch the show. I didn't watch the show until, like, Netflix brought it back in 2015. That's when I really delved into Gilmore, and that's when I started, you know, getting into it. And then I started listening to the Gilmore Guys podcast, and then the Revival series came out, and I was meh about it. (laughs) I was excited whenever it came out and then I watched it and I think there are some absolutely wonderful moments in it but as a whole I feel it's just very mid. Very very mid and was not the sort of revival I was wanting the show to come back to and I can talk about that when we actually get into talking about the revival later on. Um, I am going to do the revival a little bit differently. I'm not going to talk about it as a whole, I'm going to be talking about it episode, that episode by episode, because the episodes are 90 minute long. You know, they are 90 minutes, mini movies, and I just, that's a lot to try and cram all four of those into one episode. It's going to be hard to cram even a full season into an episode. Um, I'm probably going to have to split them in half, which the Gilmore Girls seasons really make that easier for me to do since they are longer seasons. Um, definitely longer than a lot of things that are on TV right now. Like the first season of Gilmore Girls has 21 episodes. I can't remember watching something that had 21 episodes in a long time. Um, I think the last thing that I watched that was even over 10 episodes was that 90s show, which that show, because it is a sitcom, does need, you know, a longer season for it to kind of find its footing uh, comedically. Anyway, back into Gilmore. (laughs) Um, So yeah, when we start the show, Rory is 16, and this is important because Lorelai had Rory when she was 16. Um, Lorelai grew up in a very sort of conservative, conservative, and she felt oppressive environment in in a very affluent family in um, Connecticut. And the Gilmores are very wealthy. They are very much about appearances. And Lorelai is very much a free spirit, um, comparatively. Personally, I think Lorelai is just selfish and didn't want to do what her mother wanted her to do. And she wanted to be in control of the situation. But that's a whole other thing. All three of the Gilmore Girls, yes, I'm including Emily as a Gilmore Girl, have control issues. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Uh, so whenever she was um, a little bit, you know, older, probably about 17 probably barely 18, if that, maybe, um, Lorelai left home. She left Hartford, moved to Stars Hollow, and got a job as a maid at the Independence Inn and has worked her way up to manager. Um, And I respect that. I respect that so much, being able to just start over like that at such a young age. And then Rory is sort of, I guess... I guess. I say I guess because of some context clues that are later in the season and just different 
different characterizations of Rory throughout the series, but apparently she is sort of genius level intellect and she's not reaching her full full potential at the local high school at Stars Hollow High, which understandable, she probably did need more of a challenge. I mean, they were reading Huckleberry Finn as freaking sophomores. I read Huckleberry Finn in middle school. You know, that's not a high school level book, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. I'm definitely not an English teacher or anything like that. It just, I feel like that's a little bit low bar set for high school, but moving on. Um, So she decides to go to a prep school, Chilton. Um, It's a very, you know, prestigious uh, school and it's all in hopes of getting Rory into an Ivy League school, namely Harvard, at the beginning of the series anyway. She wants to go to Harvard and because she wants to go to Harvard, she needs to go to a school that will allow her to do that. And so she goes to Chilton and, excuse me, and so she needs money to pay for Chilton, right? So Lorelai, you know, swallows her pride and she goes to her parents, Richard and Emily, uh, Richard is played by the late, great Edward Herman. Um, and Richard and Emily are just very conservative, very much, you know, the high society people that you come to find out through the rest of the series are so much more than the sum of their parts and are just really interesting characters in their own right. And they go through their own ups and downs, not to mention their relationship is probably the most stable on the show next to Suki and Jackson's and I love them for it. Mm. Sorry. Good coffee. Ugh. So let's see. So she goes to her parents begging for money and that's our pilot. Um, the only stipulation that La- or Emily has for giving Lorelai this money is that the girls have to come to Friday night dinners and that's it. That's our show. the show is really just about Lorelai and Rory moving through life. And, you know, there are definitely a ton of Friday night dinners. Some of the best scenes of the show are centered around that Gilmore dining table. And it just sort of moves through their life. It follows Rory through college and graduating college. And then in a revival, she's the same age as Lorelai was when we started the series. She's 32. It's the show It really is about mothers and daughters, but the show is also about its side characters. I really feel like I have to mention them because Amy Sherman Palladino has this wonderful knack, this wonderful talent for really building out a world and really making you care about characters that you may or may not care about in other television shows. For instance, um, the characters of Babette and Miss Patty on any other show would probably go almost unnoticed if they didn't show up for a long time. Whereas Amy Sherman Palladino was very smart in casting Liz Torres and Sally Struthers as uh, Miss Patty and Babette because A, they're TV legends and B, they know how to take a small character and give it some oomph, give it a little something, something. Like, I definitely don't think that Amy wrote uh, Miss Patty to be quite as saucy as she was. And that was a Liz Torres thing. You know, um, I know she didn't write that voice for Babette. That was a totally a Sally Struthers thing. Because if you don't know, that's not what Sally Struthers actually sounds like. That super husky, raspy Babette voice. That's not what Sally Struthers sounds like. 
So <laughs> that's an interesting character choice. And the fact that Amy lets her actors make certain character choices like that is just, it's really well done. And it's really smart because that way your characters feel lived in. They feel like real people almost even though stars hollow if you actually went there everybody there is a caricature but because the world itself is so fleshed out and everybody is just so you know like accepting of it and everything like that it becomes sort of a wink wink nudge nudge of the show that everybody is basically a cartoon character and so with that um i just kind of wanted to get into some strong opinions that i have about this show um i will say the fandom for this show can be a little bit rabid a little bit intense and i completely understand that um the show makes you feel things and it means a lot to a lot of people so people are going to have some strong opinions about it and these are just some of mine um these opinions cannot will not be changed And I don't want to talk about why they cannot or will not be changed. So here we go. I wrote them down. So uh, opinion number one, Luke and Lorelai are endgame, full stop. I ain't going to sit here and pretend like, you know, Max Medina was the love of her life or that Digger Styles was was the ultimate end goal or even Christopher, because we all know it's Luke. For the most part, they balance each other out and they are really, really good for each other. The problem is they, gosh, they were such good friends beforehand. They, I think that they feel like they assume that they know what the other one is feeling, right? And nine times out of ten, they're wrong. They don't actually know how the other is feeling. Like the whole thing with the Twickham house was just very unnecessary. And the whole, whole debacle with April was wholly unnecessary because Luke and Lorelai were both being incredibly immature and Anna Nardini had a huge hand in how that situation played out and went down and went bad. All right. Number two, Rory is not good enough for any of the boyfriends apart from Logan in his flop era in the revival. So let's just go by the boyfriends chronologically and I'll explain my reasoning of why I cannot be a team whoever so Dean oh Dean 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 poor thing um there were definitely some red flags with Dean um I think I am thinking specifically of the first time they break up um I do it you know, attribute a lot of that breakup and reaction that he has to him being, you know, 16. And this is only his second relationship. And it's very intense. Apparently, you know, he feels very intense feelings for Rory. And that causes him to lash out and be angry when she says that, you know, when she can't say that she loves him at three months, they've only been dating for three months. And I think if Dean had taken a second and looking, looked, not looking, looking's not a word, looked at uh, Rory's, um, you know, family life situation, the way that Lorelai handles relationships, he would have realized that maybe, just maybe, this kid would have some commitment issues and maybe couldn't express herself or express the way that she feels organically. She kind of needs to work up to it. You know what I mean? Uh, so there were definitely some anger red flags with him, but all in all, Dean was a really good first boyfriend. And I do mean this the first time they went out together. I am not speaking on um, him being an adulterer. That's when we get bad Dean. But at that time, he's been hit by the dumb stick that the Paladinos towed out every time they want the girls to have a new boyfriend. And he gets hit with the Dean stick 
because he's the first one that it happens to. He gets hit with the Dean stick and he starts to become dumb. He starts to get dumb for Rory. I'm not saying he's a dumb guy, but he starts getting more like jockey, more obsessed with Lord of the Rings. Like for some reason, he has a very strange strange fascination with that movie in the second season. They talk about it a lot. And then, like, and then Rory just strings him along for months and months while she flirts around with Jess and fucks around with Jess. And it's horrible. It is horrible how she treats Dean. And then, you know, after they break up and he's with Lindsay, God, I think, I really think that because Lindsay was the rebound and he ended up marrying her, that that relationship never was going to last. And I acknowledge that, but Rory didn't help. I mean, think about their wedding. Like the night before their wedding, Dean is drunk and passed out at Luke's and going, Rory has such pretty hair, pretty, pretty hair. What the fuck is that? What if Lindsay had actually heard something like that? What if Dean talked in his sleep or something and she heard that? That's so insane to me how hung up on Rory he was. But all the boyfriends get that way at some point. So, and then we get into adulterer Dean whenever he cheats on Lindsay and sleeps with Rory. Oh my God, so dumb. So, so dumb. He threw his entire life away doing that through his entire life that he was starting to build with Lindsay. And you know what? Yeah. The relationship probably would have fallen apart anyway, because he was pretty horrible to Lindsay because he didn't really want to be in a relationship with her. He wanted to be with Rory and nobody was being honest about it. That's the only reason that Rory even had like a dry spell in college is because a guys weren't fawning all over her. Like they did in stars hollow and B she was holding out for Dean Once she saw Dean again and saw that he had gotten a little cuter and a little, you know, filled out a little bit more, she was like, oh, there's Dean. He's a comfort for me. I can, you know, just go to him. He's my Dean. And it was just all bad. All, all bad. But I am happy that we do get a little snippet of him in the revival and we do get, you know, he's happy and he's healthy and he's moved on. And I'm so happy for him. Next up, Jess Mariano. Jess was such a force to be reckoned with when he came on the show obviously alexis and milo who plays jess um had a ton of chemistry because they were dating at the time and so like their on-screen relationship mirrored their off-screen relationship all that kind of jazz so of course it worked better um and they like had more chemistry they had more in common but jess was not written well i feel like amy sherman palladino wanted to make him like a really bad boy but the network just would not let him or her whoever was sponsoring gilmore girls at the time because i do know at one time they were um sponsored by a fairly conservative uh media conglomerate but i digress uh they retcon jet's store jess's story um, at one point, too, like, originally his dad had just left him, which makes his anger seem a little bit more valid. Not that his anger wouldn't be valid if his dad did leave when he was a baby, like they tried to say at the end of season three. <clears throat> but um, I don't think that he his anger is as justified. You know, there's a reason, like, there has to be more than just his dad left, you know, and his mom gave up on him, like, 
it does he they do mention how flaky liz can be and that she's had a string of boyfriends since his dad but at the same time i feel like when we meet liz in the later series like later on in the series she's just not that person and she's not as horrible as jess like portrays her to be and i realized that you know in between the time that jess is basically kicked out of his house and we meet liz that she could have gone through some growth. Like she has met TJ at that point and TJ seems like a really decent guy. So, I mean, there could have been some growth that she had personalized, but I just don't buy it. I'm sorry. Um, and then Kyle's party happens. Oh, you see, I would think Jess would be perfect for Rory. Absolutely perfect. Even, you know, Later on, when he has his glow up, I think he would be the one to kind of pull her out of her headspace and where she's at. In fact, we see that whenever he suggests that she write a book and she write about her mom and um, her life and all that stuff. It was Jess who pulled her out of her funk, but I cannot sign on to the relationship after what happened at Kyle's party. Um, if you know, you know. Um, I mean, they go up to that bedroom, I'm assuming it's Kyle's or Kyle's sister, and they start making out and things start getting heavy, and Rory says no. Rory says no. Rory says wait. Rory does not want to continue, and Jess pushes her, and, you know, he says horrible things and makes Rory cry, and then picks a fight with Dean, and they do get out on the front lawn of Kyle's parents' house. It's a lot. It's a very intense moment. And that's one of the biggest reasons I cannot be Teen Jess because that would always be in the back of my mind, you know, that moment. And I understand he was under a lot of stress and he was under a lot of pressure and he was very upset and he thought that maybe like this would fix that. But I don't know. He would have to prove to me that he had done a lot of growing. He would have to prove to me that he had gone to like therapy and really worked through those issues that he had back then. And that, you know, this is something that would never, could never happen again. And I realize that a lot of people don't see it quite as intensely as that. But for me, it, it would be enough. You know, that's just my personal opinion. Um, and then by the time, like, we see Jess again after his little glow up and he's written his book, he's too good for Rory. Because by that time, Rory has dropped out of Yale and has just thrown her life right out the damn window until Jess, you know, spurs her on to kind of keep it going again. So, your boyfriend should not be the one motivating you to do things. You should be able to motivate yourself. And if you can't, you need to find something that motivates you. And it should not be your romantic partner telling you, go do this. You know, it shouldn't be a friend or a loved one going, hey, why don't you go do this? Just do that. And, you know, your life will be much better for it. I just don't think that, you know, Jess would help the situation or the way that he tends to give advice would help the situation that much at the end of season, you know, six, beginning of season seven. And just, I don't know. Rory did need that kick in the ass to get back to Yale, but it shouldn't have come from Jess. It should have come from within, and it didn't. Um, so there's that. And then there's Logan. Logan fucking Hunts Huntsberger. Mr. Fucking Life and Death Brigade. Um, so, listen. I love Logan Huntsberger. 
in the beginning. <laughs> I love him when he's in his sort of like villainy baby Joker phase when he's not really chasing Rory and he's not falling all over Rory and he's not worshiping the damn ground that she walks on. And that is great. It's wonderful. And I really like Logan all the way up until he cheats on her and then they break up after she gets, you know, after she leaves school. And after that, when he decides he wants to try and get back with her, he starts, you know, worshiping Rory. And Rory is everything in the coffee car and the gifts. and blah, blah. It's gross. It's awful. I hate that. I hate being fawned over like that. And I would hate seeing that happen with somebody else because it's just, it's too much. Like, if you're that obsessed with somebody, you really need to look inside yourself and figure out why you're obsessed with somebody that much. And then, like... I really like Logan again once, um, you know, he graduates and he starts his company. He's a little douchey. But then when that company crumbles and it falls apart and he's humbled again, I really like that Logan as well. That Logan who has that conversation with Lorelai at the kitchen sink in Stars Hollow, it was... That is the Logan that I endorse. That's the only Logan that I think would be, you know, a good guy to date outside of being Rory. Um, and then, of course, he proposes to Rory and she rejects him stupidly, I think, because they could have had like a long engagement and they could have, you know, just done the long distance thing for a little bit longer. I know neither one of them really wanted to, but I feel like Logan would have respected her career enough to allow her to do that if she wanted you know, and I know she didn't want to be long distance because, you know, she just didn't want to be far away from him again. Well, then suck it up, Gilmore, and, you know, be a girlfriend. Be his girlfriend. Live with him. Go with him to San Francisco or wherever he goes. You will find a job, I'm sure. Hell, write online. Do something like that. You can, I mean, you were submitting pieces to Harry, what's his name, or whoever that guy was from the magazine, uh, you know, George Cooper from Young Sheldon. Yeah, I remember who played him in that one scene in the party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got a memory thing. So anyway, and then in the revival, oh, buddy, Logan in the revival. Um, he is no longer a self-made man. He is working for his father and he is marrying a woman that his parents picked out for him against his will. Who does that? That's not a real person. Like, that is a caricature of a rich boy, right? Like, I'm not being insane and in thinking that, right? And then, not only that, but he's cheating on her, on this poor girl, with uh, Rory. And it's like, you really couldn't resist Rory Gilmore that much that you were going to throw away this marriage? Okay. And I just, I cannot endorse the behavior between Rory and Logan in the revival or anything like that, because it's just despicable. What they're doing to Paul and Odette is just heinous, honestly. At least, you know, Logan is trying to participate in his relationship with Odette. And I'm sure Odette, like, knows that he cheats on her and everything like that, because Logan is a very infamous playboy. However, with uh, Paul for Rory, that's just awful how she treats him. She's such a monster in the revival. And I promise, like, Rory in the revival is the true villain of Gilmore Girls. But I will definitely get there a little bit later when I actually talk about the revival itself. Um, which brings me into my next point. Uh, Richard and Emily are not the true villains of Gilmore Girls. Um, I know that they're vilified quite a bit. And I know 
that um, the show likes to portray them as the true villains. And like our Gilmore girls can do no wrong. However, there's still Rory. Rory still exists. I'm sorry, but she's such a horrible person sometimes. And Lorelai is too. Lorelai is no saint. She's so so totally selfish. And the way that she acts like the damn princess of Stars Hollow is honestly irritating. But I can forgive Lorelai a little bit more because she's a little bit more self-aware of it. I really think Lorelai truly does see how selfish she's being and she just does not care. Um, mostly because Lorelai is an allegory for Amy Sherman Palladino herself. And I have kind of gathered, you know, Amy's personality just by watching interviews with her or reading interviews with her. And I don't know. I just, I feel like Richard and Emily are really unjustly vilified. Not that they don't do bad things. There are tons of bad things that especially Emily does and things that I don't agree with how she handles them or how she handles Lorelai or Rory or Richard in the situation. But at the same time, a lot of like their manipulations and things come from a place of love and caring, whereas Rory's manipulations and things of that nature really come from a place of selfishness and almost malice. But yeah, so they're not the true villains of Gilmore Girls. And my last like truly strong opinion about Gilmore Girls that ain't nobody ever going to change is that season seven is not that bad and season six is really the worst season of Gilmore Girls. Let me explain. Um, I am going to go into a pretty elaborate explanation of this in a later podcast, um, just because I have some theories and stuff that surround what happened between season six and seven behind the scenes, and it was a mess. I just have to say it was probably a giant mess, and they did the best with what they could. Um, but, I mean, season six has probably the worst episode of the series for me. And a lot of people really, people who are really fans of the show really agree with that as well. Uh, Vineyard Valentine, season six. Um, quite possibly the worst episode of the series. It's one of the worst episodes of television um, that I've seen in a long time just watching TV. And it it is one of those shows, you know? Or one of those episodes that you're just like, how did this get made? Why did this get made? Was did they have like a contract for Martha's Vineyard or something? Did they have to show Martha's Vineyard this season? Why is this so bad? It is one of the worst bottle episodes I've seen of a television show. And bottle episodes are usually my favorite. Like hell, even in Gilmore Girls, the bottle episodes are sometimes even better. Uh, Road Trip to Harvard, um, The Bracebridge Dinner, those are fantastic episodes. And they're essentially bottle episodes. And they are so good and so well done. And then you get to Vineyard Valentine, which is also a bottle episode. And it's horrible. Like, it's not just bad. It is bad, bad. None of the characters are acting like themselves. There's no, like, movement in the main storyline, which is really needed at that point in the series. It's a later episode in the series. And I do realize that back when television was this long, like when seasons were 22, 24 episodes long... You know, you needed more filler episodes and you needed more to like fill out your season, but it doesn't have to be bad. Filler episodes can be okay. I will say I appreciate the show like being real enough to not do a full clip show. At least we didn't have to go through that with Gilmore Girls because, oh, that would have been hellacious because they can't even keep their own continuity right. So they wouldn't be able to keep the clips straight. <laughs> 
it's so dumb. Um, I don't know. It just, there was a lot that happened between season six and seven of the show, just production wise. Um, Amy and Dan were either left or were asked to leave the show. They had to bring in a whole new team of writers, um, which I think was something that happened on Gilmore fairly uh, frequently. Whenever they brought David S. Rosenthal on as like showrunner for season seven, he had only just joined the show in season six. His first episode was season six, episode three. Like, and that's who you pick to be your showrunner for the next season of the show on a new network as well, because by that time, um, UPN and the WB had combined to make the CW for the final seasons of Gilmore Girls Charmed and a few other shows that they had, you know, brought over to, you know, keep people watching the network and bring more people into the network. So they, you know, keep watching the shows that they were watching and seeing all the new stuff that the CW was, you know, putting out. I know now you look at the CW and all the shows are pretty much the exact same, but back in the day, it was actually pretty varied when it came to plots and plot lines and things like that. Um, That being said, the OC, Veronica Mars, One Tree Hill, and like Dawson's Creek, I think were all on at the same time at one point, and they are all very similar shows to Gilmore Girls and to themselves, like... So I don't know how diverse it really was, you know, show wise, but you know, it could be worse. It could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been the onslaught of superhero shows that we got on the CW and then randomly Riverdale, you know, and the new reboot of Charmed. So it could have been a lot worse. Anyway, like those are my really strong, strong opinions about Gilmore Girls. And I understand that not everybody is going to agree with them, but that's okay. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about opinions. So now that I've kind of introduced Gilmore Girls and talked about like my big, strong opinions, and we're all kind of on the same page about Gilmore, I want to take some time and talk about where I want to go with this podcast. Um... I don't know where I want to go with the podcast, truly. I I just know that I would like to talk about TV. And there are some shows that I would love to talk about more. And I just want to shed some light on some shows that maybe don't get the love that they used to. Or they've never really gotten the love that they deserve. Sort of like Eureka. Um, My husband and I collect um, DVDs, Blu-ray, VHS, physical copies of media, right? And we just recently went through and watched Eureka, the TV show that was on sci-fi back in 2010-ish, around that time. And, oh, that show is so good. I never watched it while it was on. Well, I watched some of it. I watched some of the first season. And then, like, I think it was in conflict with Pretty Little Liars or something that came on at the same time that my sister watched or that we were watching together. And I just never got to finish Eureka like on TV. So my husband pulled it out and said, Hey, let's add this to our watch queue that we have, you know, set up so we can watch all of our DVDs and Blu-rays because we do buy a lot of them secondhand and we need to make sure that they work because what's the point in owning them if you can't actually watch them, right? So we started watching through Eureka and it was in our queue and I fell in love with it. And that's happened with several shows that Uh, my husband has introduced me to, like The Librarians. Um, I love that show. Now, I don't think um, I could 
you know, I don't know if I would be the same person I am without having watched The Librarians and seeing John Larroquette in that particular role, because it really did, you know, change my opinion of him as an actor, because the only thing that I'd seen him on, like, consistently, I think, was Night Court. So I hadn't seen a whole lot of John Larroquette on TV. And I know that's a crime, but it's also due to my age. You know, I am, I'm not an elder millennial. I'm sort of a true millennial. Um, I was born in 92. So I did get a little bit more 90s nostalgia than some. And I got a lot of the early 2000s, like hit me right in my sweet spot. Um but, and that could be said a lot for a lot of the TV shows. Unfortunately, at the time, I just was not interested. I was more interested in watching, like, superhero shows. I was more interested in Batman and American Dragon, Jake Long, and other, like, Disney Channel shows and Nickelodeon shows. Like, I would, I remember so vividly sitting on the floor in my room and watching um, Keenan and Kel and all that, and then being terrified of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, that was my Saturday night lineup. I lived in that lineup for a long time, or as long as I could, back when SNCC was still a thing. But anyway, like, some other shows that I really, like, want to highlight and talk about are things like Charmed and Buffy and that 70s show. And my ultimate goal is really to have my mom and my sister on to talk about some of these shows, maybe even talking about like Pretty Little Liars or something like that, something that all three of us really watched and enjoyed because my mom, my sister, and I have so such different personalities. I feel like that would be really entertaining to listen to. But as far as just goals for myself, um, I want this to be successful. I want to, I don't know. I don't want to be famous. I need to say that. I just, I want to get my opinion out there and I want to talk about this stuff. And I feel like this is just the best venue for me to do that with. So I do hope that, you know, you'll subscribe and you'll listen and you'll just keep listening. Um, Anyway, I'm going to hop off here. Next time we meet, I will be going into season one of Gilmore Girls, at least the first half of it. Anyway, I will talk to y'all later. Bye.